Ezra Cleveland has started this entire season, and it's been kind of quiet. For an offensive lineman, that's a pretty good thing. But I have some, like, nuanced thoughts on Ezra Cleveland. I want to talk about them. I want to talk about why the Vikings can't tackle and some other stuff here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making the Locked On Vikings podcast your first listen of the day. Today on the show, it's kind of our, our rewatch Wednesday. We're going to go over the 49ers game. We're going to kind of pick up some of the pieces of what happened, especially to the run defense. I want to talk a little bit about offense as well. Uh, in particular, I want to talk about Ezra Cleveland. And that's where we're going to start. We'll get into some of the run defense stuff. I mean, the 49ers ran for 200 yards on the Vikings. I got to tell you how that happened. And I, it's fascinating. So I'm going to spend a long time talking about it. But first, let me talk about offensive line and stuff. For one, I should probably mention, because it's been kind of a story, right? Uh, Mason Cole had a pretty good game. He had a couple of uh, uh, pretty rough reps. Um, but on the whole, there was more good than bad, I thought. Um, that's nice, of course. Oli Udo is so frustrating. Like, I can't quit him. He's got so much potential. There was a sequence, uh, after the play. So Oli Udo basically oversets on a, on a reach-ish block. It's not quite his fault. And and this is something like that I'm going to get into more when it comes to defense, he was tasked with reach blocking a player, uh, a, a 49ers defender. And that means he's got to get all the way across to the, that player and then seal him off the other way. And he kind of overset, like he went too far across that player. So that player could just come up field. But if that player comes up field and you're reach blocking him. There's kind of nothing you can do. It just plays into the technique that you're going to run. And so you kind of get this free penetration, and that's what ends up separating Dalvin Cook's shoulders. It was the play where Cook got hurt and fumbled. And then on the very next play that Oli Udo got after the Vikings got the ball back, he just buries a guy. And it's like, ah, there is so much. It's like that play was so bad. The fumble play was so bad, but it kind of wasn't his fault. And then he comes back and he does that. I'm growing more and more sympathetic to why the Vikings want to keep him in. Now, I've long been on the train of benching this guy for somebody else, be it Wyatt Davis or bringing Mason Cole or Bradbury over there, finding something else to do with one of your two centers or something like that. I've, I've long been a proponent of that. I'm not quite jumping off of that train yet, but I just still get it. But really who I want to talk about is Ezra Cleveland because Cleveland is kind of quietly ascending and it's never the biggest story of the week. Um, so I've never really like made it a topic on the show, but we should probably mention it here in week, like it's, it's week 12, right? Um, he's just sort of quietly gotten better. So let's talk a little bit about Ezra Cleveland and, um, the, the way that he plays, he still plays like a tackle who has moved to guard. I'm going to start with the negative. We'll wrap up with the positive. Um, and, and the negative that I see is still the same negative that I see with Cole that I see with Udo. They're all kind of slow out of their stance. And, and for like different reasons too, but for Cleveland and I guess Udo too, it's because they're tackles that have moved to guard. And when you play tackle, tackle is a timing based position. If you think about it, because you're on the edge, you are very often 
especially in pass protection, dealing with somebody who's working with a ton of space, right? If you're a defensive end going at a tackle, you got all this space to work with. You could go upfield, you could go wide or deep, you could kind of set up upfield and go inside. And so as a tackle, you have to be able to deal with a whole bunch of different variants of things. You have to deal with a whole bunch of potential options and potential styles of attack, depending on what the edge rusher across from you wants to do. And so that means you have to time your hands. If your hands go out early against defensive end, you're dead to rights. If your hands go out late, you're dead to rights. You have to time them perfectly. And they have to be sort of ready to punch at a moment's notice. Usually you do that reactively. And so to get them ready, you sort of holster them. You put your hands down by your hips and they just kind of sit there and they and they wait until the defensive end comes. And then, you know, when the when the pass rusher is there, you then uh, time your punch accordingly, do it with one hand to whatever you decide you're going to do. And that is a, a muscle memory habit that these guys have probably from high school uh, with with Cleveland and Udo and whoever else plays tackle, you know, Mike Remmers moving in or whatever. This is all the same deal. Um, they will holster their hands. Now, a guard, you have a guy on either side of you, which means it's going to be a phone booth. It's crammed in there when you're a guard. When you're in the interior, you're going to be part of a lot of slides, part of a lot of walls. You're going to be rarely in man-to-man where it's just like a guy with space on either side of you, right? Um, And even when you are in man-to-man, there's still like kind of some bodies there that you could throw somebody into and you've got kind of borders. It's like bowling. You've got some bumpers in the gutters you can kind of work with. And that means that things are going to develop a little bit faster because if you're a defensive tackle going up against a guard or a blitzer or whatever, there is one but one way forward and that is through you. There's that. That's it. You know, you can set up a swim or whatever, try to get get past. But but really, you you've got through. You can't go up and around somebody. You can't set them up and then like cut inside and get this like free lane unless you're Miles Garrett and you can euro step like a like and teleport. Um, that it, more or less, it is going to develop quickly. Your plan is going to be quick engagement and trying to get up under somebody, forklift them, get them back into the quarterback, right? And so that means as a guard, your hands have to be out immediately. You do not have time to get them down by your hips. But these guys are all tackles with that kind of muscle memory. So their hands are going down by their hips. And Ezra Cleveland does that as well. And I do think it still leads to too many pressures for me to be like, he's just a good guard now. Uh, But that's only one facet of his game. The thing about Cleveland is that those losses are getting less and less frequent and less and less extreme. His holster his hands and then get his hands up into somebody's chest. That process is still one too many steps, but it's getting faster and faster and faster. And it's getting uh, he's getting himself set up better. And in the run game, he's getting he, he is more and more frequently driving people and and moving people and, and then comboing well into the second level. And he's playing well in the screens and stuff. It is difficult to sort of document because it's been so quiet and steady. But steady improvement is a very, very good thing for an offensive lineman. He still looks like a tackle playing guard, but that's hurting him less and less. And and I made a tweet that like his bad plays are getting quieter and quieter and his good plays are getting louder and louder. And he's uh, unlocking more big plays. Greg Olson called him out on the broadcast last week uh, against the Packers. And, And I think rightfully so. He had some highlights there. He had some lowlights that Olson missed, but whatever. He still has highs and lows. He's still like an up and down player to me. 
but that's really exciting for a card uh especially because it's been a while since we've had like a really like a good garden i don't think he is like a, a just a straight up good guard with no caveats yet he's like good but you have to ignore certain things and if you ignore those things he's good but you have to like willfully ignore bad stuff but it's getting there and they might have something here. This guy might be able to actually be a true blue solution at the position. And considering that O'Neill and Darisar are probably going to be the tackles for the foreseeable future, that's good that he's kind of found a home. So offensively, look, the Vikings had a pretty good game offensively. Again, Kirk Cousins was a little bit off. I thought his feet were off. Um, he, he was a little uh, bouncy on his feet, a little toesy, as uh, JT O'Sullivan would put it. Um, which is kind of an antsiness thing. Um, and it's kind of a things are in your head kind of thing that just happens to quarterbacks. Um, and I think that's what led to his inaccuracy. And it's not something that Kirk Cousins usually deals with. It's something to watch. Watch him in the pocket against the Lions. See if he's bouncing up and down, if he's toesy, uh, especially if he's on his toes when he throws. Because I, I think he does. He always kind of bounces up and down in the pocket, which is a bad habit, but kind of, you know, priority number nine for a quarterback coach to like work on with him. So it's never going to get fixed because it's not like that big a deal. So as long as he gets his feet down when he throws, it's fine. But then he's also got that stupid ball pad. So when he decides to make a throw, he's got to get his feet flat and he's got to get his the, the his stupid ball pat in and then things end up late. And that's been kind of messing with him. Um, some of the off kilter throws were also throws on the run, which are difficult throws and like quarterbacks will just miss those sometimes. But Kirk like never misses them, which is unfortunate. It's like we've kind of got a higher expectation for him because he's earned that higher expectation. Um, so it's jarring to see him miss those, but those are like just missable throws. It's just your body's not quite on the right uh, foundation and you're torquing weird and, and it's just like difficult. Um, he's just phenomenal at that and he wasn't phenomenal at that at against the 49ers and we had kind of grown used to that. It sucks. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about the defense too. I want to talk about why the 49ers were able to just run the ball at will. They had some really, really insanely long drives that, that killed clock and played the game exactly like the 49ers did. And I think that's kind of why the Vikings lost. So I, I want to talk about that stuff too. But first, let me paint a picture for you. The Vikings are, uh, winning by say 10 points beginning of the second quarter. I'm going to guess you don't trust that very much. They certainly haven't earned that. Maybe you trust it so bad that you maybe want to gramble against it. And that is what is perfect about BetOnline's new live betting apparatus. They have redesigned their whole website. They've got a live betting thing going on. So you can just log on to BetOnline. They just redesigned your website. So any given Vikings game, eh, call it four or five minutes left in the second quarter. I usually do it around 2.30. I usually push it a little bit further. Uh, and you can just bet against the Vikings keeping the lead you know they're going to blow it, right? And if they don't, well, eh, it doesn't feel that bad that you lost the bet because then that meant the Vikings won a game handily and we're all happy about that, right? It's called an emotional hedge. Anything else you want to do at Bet Online, you can. Pro, college football, basketball, hockey, even uh, UFC, MMA stuff, or your favorite Vegas casino games. Just enter promo code Locked On when you sign up. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. You get a 50% welcome bonus. Make sure you claim that 50% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On at BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So we got to talk about this run defense, huh? So here's the deal with the run defense. I, I think most people could probably chalk it up to like, ah, well, the whole defensive line was out, right? So if the Vikings had all their intended starters, those guys would be Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, da Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce. Uh, Hunter out for the season. Griffin, I'm going to guess out for the season. I don't actually have any information on that, but it, let's just assume for now out for the year. Michael Pierce out on IR for some amount of time indefinitely, we'll call it Dalvin Tomlinson. He's on COVID, right? All of those guys are out. 
So you've got James Lynch and Armin Watts and you've got uh, DJ Wanham and you got Tayshawn Bauer like coming in as a as a relief edge rusher and all that. You've got it's bleak at edge rusher, right? So that sucks. You have uh, Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr there. Barr leaves in the middle of the game. Nick Vigil's in and out of the game. It's difficult, right? They don't have all their personnel. And so I get that. And then you go, okay, well, then, then the 49ers are a good rushing team. They ran for 200. Yeah, this all makes sense. Maybe you could leave it there. But I, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to go a little deeper. What happened? Because when you watch, when, when I watched the tape, I did not see James Lynch and Armin Watts getting killed. I saw DJ Wanham get washed out a lot. Uh, he's done a little better in the, in the pass rush game, but he cannot hold an edge to save his life. He is just not good enough in the run. I think to be like a true bona fide starter. Um, he's just not bulky enough and he gets just like pushed back way too often. Um, and then you've got a bunch of other rotational guys, right? So yeah, there was that problem and you could probably chalk that up to that, turn the podcast off and it wouldn't be that wrong, but Let's if if you're still with us, let's have a little bit more of a discourse about all this. Uh, and what I want to talk about is Kyle Shanahan. Because Shanahan, I didn't get a chance to, to like preview Shanahan because the holiday um, and I, I wanted really so bad to talk to you about it. But I was like traveling. Um, Shanahan is fascinating because he uses all this motion and shifts and pulling and trapping and like guys are moving horizontal so much that it messes with your gaps. Think about yourself, put yourself in the shoes of a defender and say Eric Hendricks or Blake Lynch coming in for Anthony Barr, right? You're a, you're a backup. You're still kind of learning it. You are given an assignment, right? I've got the B gap here. I've got the, the gap between the center and the guard. And then the guard pulls and suddenly the guards on the other side of the formation. And then a tight end is coming around too to like, try to hit you from the side. What's your assignment now? Because there was a guy who's got another gap over there between the guard and tackle who's now going to be in the same gap as you. And there's an extra gap over on the other side and everybody's going to shift over there. So something's going to be unfilled. Do you take the new one? Do you take the old one? What's the deal? Now, every defense is going to have an answer to that question, but it's going to take some thought to get to that answer. And that hesitation can screw you. So there's that. The other thing is the motion that uh, the, the, the 49ers use can just manipulate things spatially. And what makes Kyle Shanahan special, like the Lions do this too, but they don't take advantage of it as well as Kyle Shanahan does. Kyle Shanahan's 49ers do a phenomenal, it's art. It's unbelievably cool to watch when you think about like what's going on. They will do like, there's one play. I have an article about all this because I'm just like enamored with it. Uh, and in, in that article, one of the plays has an orbit motion type. I think, yeah, I think it's orbit motion where uh, a wide receiver will motion across the formation. When he gets to about the tackle, he backs off, he goes deep, and then he orbits around the quarterback. So he goes deeper than the quarterback, he runs around the quarterback, and then he, he kind of runs out like he's going to get a swing pass or a bubble screen. And what that does, somebody's got to go with that action. That somebody in this particular play was Harrison Smith. He widens out so that he can cover that. In widening out, he allows himself to be blocked by Brandon Ayuk. And Brandon Ayuk's uh, role on that play is to run a little slant pattern, but then actually block Harrison Smith. But because he looks like he's running a slant pattern, it forces Bashad Breeland to deepen out like he's going into coverage because that slant pattern could be an over, or it can be like a sluggo or a little like in and up kind of thing. So Bashad Breeland then deepens. So you have Harrison Smith widening and Bashad Breeland deepening. And then you have a run that goes completely the other way. 
And both of those guys have just taken themselves out of the cutback lane because of their coverage assignments. And so the coverage assignments and run plays are working in this beautiful tandem. And spatially, they're getting guys to widen themselves out and get out of the way because Elijah Mitchell, who's the running back on the play, ends up needing to cut back on this play because somebody on the front side wins their gap. So that the front side of the play, the way the play was supposed to go, isn't there. Elijah Mitchell cuts back, and that cutback lane is wide open because those two guys just cleared themselves out of it because of their coverage responsibilities. That's what makes Kyle Shanahan so cool. And what you end up with at that point is Elijah Mitchell running through, and then those other guys who have just cleared themselves out, Breland and Smith and Nick Vigil also had a, a problem there, um, all have to kind of scramble to get back into the lane, and then they end up making these diving tackles. If you watch that game... Didn't it kind of feel like the the 49ers running backs were just greased up, like they were covered in oil and they were totally slippery? Well, that feeling that you got was probably because Vikings defenders were diving at tackles a lot because they weren't in good enough position to actually do a form tackle. So there was a lot of missed tackling, bad tackling. You might go, wow, bad tackling, that's bad coaching. They got to have their fundamentals down. But it wasn't a fundamentals issue to me. It was a positioning issue that was caused by scheme. So I guess, yeah, it still ends up on the coaching at the end of the day, but it's a different critique of the coaching. We should probably get that straightened out, right? Um, and, and that's really rough. I also want to talk to you about Mackenzie Alexander, who I guess he got a really bad PFF grade, and I kind of want to defend him a little bit. So we'll get to that. But first, I want to talk to you about, of course, the guilt-free treat that you can enjoy this holiday season. All the holiday goodness rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, low in calorie sugar, net carbs and fat, and chock full of protein. You get the best of both worlds. Delicious and not that bad for you. So many flavors in a built bar. You will have a hard time choosing. You got raspberry or mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie if you want to just eschew the holidays and get the best flavor. Uh, that is just holiday seasonally agnostic. Peanut butter brownie is the best one. Sorry, coconut. Deal with it. Uh, built Bar gives you the extra fuel you need to, to bust down the mall doors or just get all that work done so you can be ready to actually take the holidays off. You know we're all scrambling because there's going to be a big giant break and we got to get ahead on our work so we can survive that break. Everybody's dealing with it now we at uh at the locked on network have been fighting for years over our favorite <laughs> bill bar flavors there is the pro coconut and anti-coconut lobbies uh the two sides are not talking to each other it's a war it's ugly uh and i, I don't need to give you the details on that but whether you are anti-coconut or wrong tell santa to throw a bill bar in your stoppings dip your built bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa or tea if you're into that that is a pro tip from me to you and some of these holiday flavors are like marshmallowy. What more can you want? So head to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. So I want to talk about Mackenzie Alexander, because apparently he had this terrible grade in the game, and he's had this terrible grade. Chris Thomason put out a tweet that he's like 117th of 118 out of quarterbacks or something like that in, in PFF grade. And I hate that kind of thing, because PFF grades... When it comes to cornerbacks, especially in match defenses, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. PFF does not attempt to engage with coverage assignments, and that's because they are trying to aggregate some data, and they need that data to be pure and clean, and it can't be adulterated with their graders' attempts at uncovering what the coverages are. And I think that limits PFF. It, it, it makes it way more difficult for them to have stable coverage grades. And by their own admission, by their own map, their coverage grades are, are kind of notoriously unstable. They've used it to make a bunch of arguments about how paying cornerbacks might not be unwise because cornerback play is unstable. But 
a lot of that is based off of their own grades, which are unstable because they aren't like guessing on uh, on coverage assignments. And that's totally fair. You don't want them trying to speculate when they're trying to sell themselves as an objective data company. I don't have to sell myself as objective. I can just guess. And I don't think I have to guess that hard. I, I got a pretty good idea what coverage assignments are, what players are trying to do. Um, and, and I look, I work pretty hard to get that. So I, I think I can do that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I am not a giant data aggregator, so I can make better guesses on that. So when it comes to a nickel corner, oftentimes a nickel corner will be asked to line up in a certain leverage, depending on what the coverage is. And that depends on where the safety's at and all that stuff. And it varies depending on what the coverage call actually is. Unlike an outside corner, who oftentimes an outside corner, if they just have a, a, a receiver in man coverage, they can decide if they're going to press him, if they're going to play off. They can kind of make the judgment call based on what their tape is, based on how they're feeling, what's the alignment, what do they think this guy's doing, what's the guy's body language. They can kind of make that judgment call. A nickel corner doesn't often have that luxury sometimes they do if it's just pure man coverage if they just know they're going to be man-to-man on that guy if Mackenzie alexander knows he's going to be man-to-man on the slot receiver he can just like press up to him or he can like play off of him and he can do whatever he wants but in a lot of coverages it is crucial to that coverage that Mackenzie alexander plays with an inside or an outside shade on the receiver some coverages need inside, some coverages need outside, but the point is the same, that sometimes that puts him in the wrong leverage. There was a play against the Cardinals, I was kind of defending uh, Mackenzie Alexander on Twitter, somebody kind of came at me over it and, and, and pointed out this play against the Cardinals, you might remember from week two, it was a fourth and ten, I think, and Mackenzie Alexander gets beat up the slot for a big giant completion on this like kind of uh, lobby throw it up throw by, by Kyler Murray. And that was a zero blitz play, no safety help at all. And part of that is Mackenzie Alexander basically covering the entire middle of the field, making his leverage really difficult. But let me give you a more direct example from this last game against the 49ers. You might remember, I believe it was Debo Samuel. It was somebody on a, on a touchdown against Mackenzie Alexander on the goal line. And it was just a quick speed out. But Mackenzie Alexander was lined up just a touch inside, just a little shade inside. He wasn't lined up two steps over or anything like that. He was just a little off center, off center, lined up inside. And then the, the route broke outside. Now, as a cornerback, if you ever played cornerback and you've been caught in the wrong leverage, it is not a referendum on your skill when you line up inside, because that's what the coverage says. The route breaks outside and you get beat by that route. You are lined up at a disadvantage. You are dead to rights. Now, if you make that play, it's an incredible play to me. If you don't make that play, that's routine and that's the coverage getting beat. And I think we had a lot of situations where the coverage got beat. And I will say pretty emphatically that Mike Zimmer got outcoached by Kyle Shanahan. He just got out schemes. Now, what Kyle Shanahan did was evil and delicious and awesome. So it's one of those times where it's a lot more about Kyle Shanahan being good than Mike Zimmer being bad. Like the decisions that Zimmer made, uh, like, for example, the decision to have your your nickel corner line up with an inside shade. There's a reason for that. Um, for one, it's better against slants and stuff, but mostly it's about the run. It was, I think, first and goal from like the four. That's a run down. And so your nickel corner is going to cheat inside a little bit so you don't they don't just waltz in on a run play. And Kyle Shanahan knows this and he's exploiting it. But if you abandon that, then it's just going to be really easy to run. So 
you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And the answer truly is don't give them a first and goal on the fort. Once you're there, it gets a lot harder as a defense. But when I look at that touchdown play, I see like if I look at it like I were a PFF grader trying to be as objective as possible, make no assumptions or any speculations about anything. All I can really say is touchdown scored Mackenzie Alexander in coverage, and then they probably give him a pretty hefty negative for that. Um, And to me, I'm not bothered by that play at all. Yeah, they're correct to credit that touchdown to Mackenzie Alexander. But really, if you really wanted to be like perfect, like if you wanted to have the best chance of being correct about that and you have to introduce a little subjectivity, which PFF is really reticent to do because of some of the controversies surrounding their like early days. Um, But I think you have to. You have to introduce a little bit of subjectivity where you go, yes, that was in Mackenzie Alexander's coverage. It was caught for six and that's not good for the defense. But he was put in a rock and a hard place because of a coverage that was called. And the coverage that was called was called for pretty good reason, because you don't get to know that they're going to run a speed out right away. That's like one of the things they might do. And maybe you should have let yourself be a little bit more uh, more well set up to defend it. But you don't even know how they're going to line up. You don't even know if Mackenzie Alexander is going to be in a tight split or a wide split or whatever. So, you know, call the coverage that way. And, and that's where defensive play calling gets really, really, really hard to, like, evaluate because you don't get to call a defense against the play that they ran. You have to call a defense against all of the plays that they could have ran. And and so you have to think about like, well, why was he inside? Well, it could have been a run play. And we didn't know till it was snapped that it wasn't. So the fact that they were doing something that like would have defended it better against a run play is reasonable. Uh, and, And a total, like a totally understandable decision that they then were punished for. But kind of destroying Mackenzie Alexander for play for that play and plays like it where I think he got caught in the wrong leverage a lot and him being in the wrong leverage was not all that often his fault I don't think we should kill Mackenzie Alexander for this game PFF did because they aren't willing to make as many speculative guesses as I am and that's totally fair for them they're a big apparatus trying to grade every player on everything and being perfectly fair about that I don't have to hold myself to those standards. I can just guess on this. And I think I can make a pretty good guess that those leverage problems were a facet of the coverages that were called and Kyle Shanahan being able to exploit them rather than bad decisions Mackenzie Alexander made or bad instincts he he employed. Um, and I think that that had to do a lot with the, with all the coverage, especially a lot of the stuff over the middle. Really what happened in this game in, in the briefest and most general terms, the Vikings came out in single high sets, super dedicated to stopping the run, and the 49ers came out super dedicated to beating that. They had all their three beaters, all their one beaters, all their single high beaters uh, ready and dialed up. So when that was sort of revealed, the Vikings switched to more two high shells bringing a safety out of the box to high safeties. Sometimes that would be uh, Josh Metellus and Xavier Woods, and then they did the Harrison Smith. That's three safety thing is definitely part of the defensive toolbox now. Um, but whatever, right? You got two defenders out of the out of the, the box, and that's one less person available. And then that's when the 49ers started doing some of their fancy schmancy run stuff. And that made it really, really, really difficult. Two high run fits are so much harder than one high run fits because you got another dude on the roof who's not in the box. 
So that is sort of what happened in this game. And and the Vikings were kind of constantly chasing and adjusting and stuff. And, and Shanahan just stayed a step or two ahead. And at credit to Shanahan, I guess that's a demerit for, for Mike Zimmer. But honestly, the way that I saw it, it's more credit to Shanahan than it is a, a, a ding on Mike Zimmer. So we're going to move on from this one. It's Lions Week again. So we're going to talk tomorrow to Matt Derry. Uh, we'll check in on it, do a little welfare check, make sure he's okay. <laughs> after what what he's been through this year. I'm excited for that conversation. I always love talking to Matt. Um, in the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast with your boy Q handicapping expert, Lee Sterling. I will see you all tomorrow with all of that. And as always, Skull.